There's nothing more maddening than being in a relationship with an addict or alcoholic, especially an intimate relationship, which I feel like is very different than being a parent or a daughter or a son of an addict or alcoholic. When you're a spouse, you're in a uniquely difficult situation, especially if you have children. And when you're in this situation, it can make you feel like you're on a runaway crazy train. You are full. It steals. It's a thief is what it is. And it robs you of your sanity. It makes you feel crazy. It'll make a smart person feel crazy, by the way. And it makes you confused. One day, you don't know what to believe from one minute to the next. You want to believe everything's getting better. And I mean, it's it's just, as you can imagine, over the last 20 years of doing this work, with families and codependency breakthrough with the link between addiction and codependency and helping people break through that I have heard and seen absolutely everything. And so I want you to know you're in really good hands because I've dedicated my life's work to serving you, to helping you figure this out. Should you stay or should you go? Can this thing be saved? Is this person for real? Are they lying to you again? Um, are the children affected? You know, why do I talk to my kids? Everything you could possibly want to know, I'm here to support you because at the end of the day, you deserve to have a loving, mutually beneficial, healthy, happy relationship. But none of that is possible if sobriety isn't in the equation. And you as a spouse could think, well, yeah, that's right, Heidi. If they just get their shit together, everything is going to be better because that's the soul issue that we're having as a family is they're they're using or they're drinking. And that spans the spectrum, right? From just using, you know, being a being like a periodic alcoholic or a binge drinker to, to every day. I mean, it ranges in use and frequency and effect and impact. But at the end of the day, we all think if that one thing stops, our world is going to get so much better. But there's much more happening as a family. And what I want to talk to you today is about how codependency, this misunderstood phenomenon, becomes a coping mechanism to another's addiction so that you can identify which coping mechanism or codependency pattern you've been enacting in your family. And why is that so important? Because that's not the real you. That's not who you really are. In fact, you might feel like inside of this addiction, you are actively losing yourself. You're morphing and bending and becoming and turning into somebody you don't want to be. And so I'm on a mission, I'm on a quest to help you get your authentic self back and recover him or her so that you can start to be you again. How would that be? You know, I, I mean, this thing consumes you. So we're going to go through each of these coping, codependency coping mechanisms. I'm going to describe each one so you can see which flavor you fall into. Now, if you're curious and you want to bypass all of the listening uh, for now, and you want to go take the test first, I created the codependency attachment personality pattern test. You can go over to HeidiRain.com and take the test right now and get your pattern. Now, if you've already taken that, you can pause it and go take it. It takes 10 minutes. It's not which Disney princess am I, by the way. It's a, it's a real test. It takes about 10 minutes to take. And then when you're done, you can come back and say, oh, that makes sense of like, so many people are wondering what the hell is codependency? How did I, how did I get here? And, and codependency is so widely misunderstood. And that's why it's not treated effectively because we're, you know, I'm not here to down anything. I'm here to offer a different vantage point, a different perspective. And though I feel and know that Al-Anon has helped a tremendous amount of people, there's something to be said for 
strategic intervention. You know, having somebody who's an expert at this to be able to guide you and point out, while well, this behavior is because of that. And, and when they say that, that's what they really mean. And, and have somebody come like take this aerial view instead of what's really great about Al-Anon is you're amongst other people who are also in these relationships. So, I mean, is it the blind leading the blind? I don't know. Uh, what's the outcome of their relationship? You know, I, I'm looking at somebody and I, I want to be led to the healthiest, happiest place possible, not in a land of like total resignation and throw up my hands and be like, well, there's nothing I can really do. It's You have no control. You didn't closet. You can't cure it. And I know my three C's, but I'm still stuck and I'm still miserable. So I think that by helping enlighten you in some strategy, you know, and, and how to cope with this and how to deal with this, that we can either turn this thing around or you can make some decisions about where you stand and what you want for yourself and for your family. Now, if at any time you feel like you you need a deeper dive with me, you want me and you in a 90-minute container where you can tell me absolutely everything that's going on in your situation. You can spill all the beans, tell me all the stuff, because who else are you talking to, right? Most of us don't have anywhere to go with this stuff. So I've set aside 90-minute timeframes for, for you and I to get together so you can tell me everything that's going on and you'll leave that call with a firm understanding of what's happening. There's no be the gaslighting will be done. You'll see clearly, I'll be able to assess the situation and tell you. And that's just, you know what, that's decades of wisdom. That's hearing stories and seeing people and working with thousands of addicts and alcoholics and just knowing like the back of my hand, like my little crystal ball, this is what's happening here. Um, but also leave that call with immense strategy to know exactly what to do moving forward. So you have a clarity, you have an action plan. It's priceless. Go over to HeidiRain.com and schedule it. And if you're curious, if I have any openings before you do that, you want to make sure you can get in, you can just send me an email and we can know. So let's get into these coping mechanisms today, what they could look like, how you might be acting them out, and so that you can get a bigger picture of what's going on in your family. So the first uh, coping mechanism, one of the first, there's eight, coping strategy for dealing with another's addiction is this pattern, this codependent pattern of withholding. Withholding is I have lots of feelings. I have lots of thoughts. I have lots of ideas and opinions. I have lots of needs. I have lots of things because I'm a human being, but because I'm in a relationship with an addict or an alcoholic and that person particularly is a Jekyll and Hyde, they are act one way one day and another way another day. I am constantly walking on eggshells withholding how I'm going to act and be in that relationship until I can see how it's going to be received, excuse me, or what they're going to do with the information. Are they going to hold it against me? Withholders are in relationships with addicted people who gather intel on them uh, with their feelings and thoughts and then use it against them later on. Now, this also, by the way, is not just alcoholism or addiction. It's also narcissism. If you're in a relationship with a narcissist, this is a very common. These are all, because by the way, just to tell you my theory, alcoholism is narcissism. It's not, there is no bigger narcissist than an addict or an alcoholic while they're actively addicted. Now, when they're sober, they might not have those narcissistic qualities anymore. Hallelujah. But for now, we're just going to run on the idea that it's all the same. Okay. So recovery looks the same too for narcissistic abuse, but nobody talks about it that way. When you're in a relationship with an addict or an alcoholic, you are being narcissistically abused by that person who has no empathy, can't see you, 
can't understand the impact they're having on you, minimizes and justifies, gaslights the head out of you. That's a narcissistic relationship. So when you're in that dynamic, you develop coping skills, coping strategies to be able to be okay. Withholding is one of those. You start to say, well, I have lots of ideas and lots of feelings, but I don't want to let them out there because God only knows what you're going to do with these things. Now, if there's a child involved and maybe you're not the withholder, but maybe you can look at your children in this addicted dynamic and start to see, well, who's playing what role here? The withholder will be the kid who goes and disappears up to their room. They don't want to talk about it. They, they, You ask them how they are, they're fine. They're always fine. Uh, they, you know, they, they don't want to get into it because they feel like, well, what's the point? You know, my needs aren't going to be met anyway, so why articulate it? Or maybe you feel that way. Why bother even expressing what I'm thinking or feeling because it's, it's not, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, because, you know, when I share my pain with you as a withholder and I suddenly tell you, maybe I break out of that pattern and one day I'm vulnerable with you and I say, you are killing me. You are hurting me. This is devastating me. This is hurting our family. And then I think we have this holy come to Jesus moment. And then the next day you're drunk again or you're under the influence again, or you're out in the garage, or I don't know what's going on, or you're smoking, or you're doing whatever, or you're watching the internet stuff. I'm thinking, why did I do that? Why did I share with you all my thoughts? And maybe in the moment, you know, the addict or alcoholic was like, yeah, you're right, you're right. And they they placated you and, you know, or whatever, or worse, when you're in the middle of all this vulnerability, you share and they shame you for it. Well, you shouldn't think, and they blame you. You you make me this way, or you shouldn't feel that way, or you're not really seeing what you're seeing. So withholders go, what's the point? Why well, even put myself out there? So that's a strategy you develop to cope with another person's addiction. And then it starts to permeate every other area of your life. It starts to be like at work, you have an opinion. You don't start to share it. Somebody hurts your feelings. You don't tell them because you figure, excuse me. You figure they're not going to do anything anyway, so why bother? But, you know, I know it's annoying when I have to clear my throat a million times, but I wake up in the morning and I meditate and I pray and I say, what should I talk about today? And then I get in the space to be able to talk to you about it. And then I'm like, well, yeah, I haven't talked all day yet today. Now my voice is going to crack, but you know, hey, look, I, it doesn't matter. It, it, I know the show must go on. I must deliver to you this content. So we're both going to have to put up with me clearing my throat like my gram used to do my whole childhood. Um, okay, so we get a picture of the withholder. Okay, another thing that we, another coping mechanism of the eight. Now, I don't know if we're going to cover all eight today uh, or if we're just going to riff on a couple. We'll see how long this, this goes. Maybe I'll split it in two. But another pattern you could develop, codependency coping mechanism to another's addiction is the clinger pattern. Now, you're not a person that was born like a clingy person. You know, your nature is not a clingy person. You have friendships, you don't talk for months and months and you could like go on and go on and then not talk to him for a while. And then you pick it up, like you pick up where you just left off. You know, you're not a needy person in your everyday life. You're just kind of like pretty independent, pretty, you know, secure. But when it comes to this one relationship, you are a stage five clinger. And now how could somebody like you, who really doesn't care that much about needing to be around people all the time, turn into a person who doesn't want to leave the house, needs to know what's going on at all times, needs to be with this person, wants to sit with them all the time, doesn't want to be without them, doesn't want to be out of their sight. Well, addiction. Addiction turns you into that person because you're thinking as a clinger, if I go away, bad things are going to happen. 
So you end up constantly needing to be with that. You don't go on vacations. You don't go with your friends anywhere. You don't go on girls trips. You don't go stay at, go away. You don't go out. You don't do any of that. You are like, I need to be home because if I'm not home, so-and-so Rick is going to self-destruct. Bad things are going to happen. Now, maybe you feel that way. Excuse me. Maybe you feel that way, but you still like your work has to take you away right? You have to be doing things. You don't want to be able to, but then you become like, you can develop a pattern of a controller, which is you are, you need to know what's going on all the time. So while this, per, while you can't be a clinger, right, but you still are full of all this anxiety. So what do you do? You turn into a controller instead, and you put navigation things on people's cars. And you're like, this is crazy. I'm not a person who's like this. I don't like to go through my husband's search history to see if he's on any forbidden sites. You know, I'm not that woman. How the hell did I turn into this person? Well, codependency is a, is a direct result of being in a crazy addicted dynamic of a relationship and you lose yourself and then you become this mad woman, you know, controlling everything, uh, installing cameras on the house to see what's happening when you're gone and you're away and watching them come and go and going through phone records and all the things. And you're turning to like inspector gadget, deep cut throwback. I mean, you know, and, and you're like, I don't want to be this person. That's how codependency feels. It feels like I don't want to be this person. I don't want to have to be this person. It's not like, oh, I'm so grateful that I'm a clinger. Oh, I love being. No, it's like, I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be like having to spy on my spouse and go through their internet searches and look at phone records and try to figure out who this person was and were they faithful and look at grocery receipts and see how much alcohol they really bought at the grocery. Like, I don't want to turn into this person. But yet here we are. Because how else are you going to cope with your anxiety? So codependency is a coping mechanism for your anxiety and the case of the crazies that develop inside another's addiction. But I'm going to tell you, there is hope. There is a way out of this. Now, the reason why I'm going over these patterns with you is because step one is recognition. You have to recognize because you might have a feeling, I'm not who I am, Heidi. I'm not who I've always been. I've turned into somebody else. That's amazing to have the sense that you're not yourself. But step two is to really ask yourself, well, who am I? Who have I turned into? And again, it's just, it's not your fault. And if there's so much peace and sanity when you're able to recognize, oh my God, this is a pattern. And then we can come alongside of each other and work together. And in one of our courses, you can start the self-study course of the codependency recovery course, which is over on HeidiRain.com as well, where you learn how to systematically undo these patterns one step at a time. You know, I just don't want to give you the, oh, hey, this is your pattern. You're a controller. And then it's like, bye-bye. No, it's now what? Well, I want to reverse that. I want to excavate your authentic self and get back to who you really are so that you can function and be happy and healthy again. Another pattern that you might run into is there's an ad active addict or alcoholic and you, you know they they can't do anything they they tell you they want to do stuff right they say things like you know thank god for you you're only, the only one that's here for me i'm so grateful for you and you get this puffed up sense of like um capability and impact in your family and you're the one who's always fixing everything fixing all the messes 
running behind, chasing up after people, trying to fix things, trying to get DUIs erased from records, trying to make sure the friends are all okay. And that thing that happened at the party, everybody's fine with the fallout or whatever embarrassed you or whatever happened, or they almost got in trouble and you had to take the keys out of their hand. You know, you had to do the thing and you're, you turned into the superhero in the family and your pattern is a fixer. Now this pattern, I do have to say, if you're enacting this pattern, this is one of those deep rooted patterns that I, I find is usually some of these patterns didn't come in childhood. I get that question a lot. Like, Heidi, I'm a clinger, but I had great childhood. Now, by the way, we all have degrees of dysfunction in our childhood. Most survivors of severe childhood dysfunction don't even consider themselves survivors of child dysfunction. They think like they're just, it was tough, but they escaped, you know, so most of us are not even aware of the impact. Having said that, this fixer pattern, I do believe, originates in childhood. Lots of adult daughters of alcoholics who don't even recognize how severe the alcoholism was turn into this person and then end up marrying somebody just like that, scratching their head and going, how the hell did this happen? So that's a pattern. Now, the clinger pattern, you might not, that this is something that 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 comes up when you're anxiously attached all the time and you need to make sure nobody's going to hurt themselves. So the fixer pattern, you're constantly running to the rescue. But, you know, look, I mean, we, you know, we might divert, you know, a tragedy or an event from happening or something terrible, some kind of trauma drama from happening. But for how long? You know, inevitably, we really don't have any control. But that's a story we tell ourselves that if I'm not here to save the day, everything's going to fall apart. And so that's what's it feel like for you? Immense responsibility immense responsibility where it's like, if you're not there and you're not saving the day, everything's going to fall apart. And of course there are elements of all these other patterns as well, right? Controlling people can also be fixing and controlling and, you know, lots of different things. Let's talk about the opposite end of the spectrum. These are all kind of like doing things, right? Like clinging, um, fixing, uh, even withholding is a back and forth, but some of these other things are just pleasing. Like you get the idea that this person in your household, this addict or alcoholic is using substances. And by the way, when I say addict or alcoholic, I don't just mean substances that I ingest. I mean, addiction to sex addiction, love addiction, phone addiction, gaming, gambling, it's all the same, okay? And I know that a lot of people would disagree with addiction, it's not all the same. Well, it's all biopsychosocial at the end of the day. There's a biology to it, there's a psychology to it, and there's a social element, a familial dynamic to it. And so it's kind of all the same. The drug of choice is the only thing that manifests differently. But you and I both know the impact of somebody's addiction, it doesn't matter what the drug of choice is. Some drugs of choice, feel worse than others as a spouse because you take it personally. If somebody's on the internet and they're searching things and they're cheating or they're doing whatever, and like if it was substance, maybe you could make more sense of it. But because it involves other people and cheating, that betrayal trauma goes 10 times deeper in you and you feel like, oh my God, you know, and maybe it's about me. You take some kind of responsibility. Pleaser patterns take on that responsibility. And they tell themselves stories and lies that if they just do better, if they're just more loving, if they're just more available, and this can, this can look like severe self-betrayal and on lots of levels where you're thinking to yourself, well, they're drinking or they're using or they're cheating or they're love addicted because of me. So I better start being a better good girl. I better engage more, 
with intimacy, even when I don't want to. I mean, that's how painful is that emotionally and psychologically and physically to believe that you're responsible for somebody else's addiction to the point where you betray yourself to think that you can prevent that bad thing from happening. That is a travesty. It is a horrible position to be in. I don't want that for you. You know, and you imagine maybe you're not the pleaser, but there are little kids in your household that think if the house is just clean enough, if they just do good enough, if they just, you know, uh, you know, make the dinner, don't make the mess, they're quiet enough. You know, this this could really, this pleaser personality, like if I just, you know, bring dad the beers or bring mom the drinks or keep the house quiet enough or let mom sleep or give mom her special pillow or, you know, I mean, all the things. And then it'll take on a real the pleasing pattern can take on a real ugly turn and it turns into enabling where I am giving the drinks. I am the one, uh, well, maybe if I drink with them, maybe if I watch this video with them, the video, you know, maybe if I, in quotations, you know, maybe if I do the activity with them, then I'll be in with them and they won't be doing it to me anymore. There's this lie that we tell ourselves that I'll be like signing up for it. So it'll be okay because I'm participating in it, but you hate it. You hate participating in it. Even though for the moment, especially if you're drinking with them or using with them, you're like, oh, I feel a little bit better. But the next day you're like, you feel that self-betrayal to the core of your very being. And you're like, I didn't want to do that again. Why do I keep doing that? Because codependency is like that. You turn into somebody you don't want to be. And there's a compulsion to keep repeating the behavior in spite of negative consequences. Now, when I say it like that, I want you to understand that in another video, I'm going to talk to you about how codependency is an addiction. And that's why you scratch your head and you're like, why can't I stop acting like this? This person doesn't deserve me. This person doesn't, I don't, I don't deserve to be treated this way. Why can't I stop? Why don't I, why can't I stop pleasing and fixing and controlling and doing all these things? Well, that's why. And we'll explain it in another video. I'll make it for you tomorrow and upload it. So Another thing that we do, uh, another way we cope with somebody else's addiction is we become like a little perfectionist when that pleasing thing really takes root. And you might see this in a lot of your children where your children are so concerned that there's so many problems in the household that they can't become a problem or be a problem themselves. So what they do is they pretend not to have any problems. Now, this, is, this, this pattern runs very close to the pretender pattern and the perfectionist pattern are kind of similar. The difference between the two is the level of judgment that a perfectionist puts on themselves and on other people as well. They hold themselves and everybody else to incredibly high standards. Nobody gets a pass. Nobody gets a break. Everybody and they're you know and a performer kind of knows they're full of shit, or a pretender kind of knows they're full of shit. But they just what like pretending wife, perfect example. You know, or a pretending husband. I mean, this happens. Husbands do this all the time too. Let's go with that. Pretending husband. Your wife is annihilated. She's a teacher. She goes to school. She's drinking. She's hung over during the day. The pretender is a form of an enabler who just sweeps it under the rug and acts like it's not as bad as it is. They're kind of pretending, looking at the world like through this little slit, you know, and and just like who's watching. We got to make sure it looks okay for the neighbors. So, so much of the work that you do is as a pretender is keeping up appearances. It's making sure that everything looks okay all the time, that the neighbors think we're fine, that the school thinks it's okay. I'm going to call, I'm going to make an excuse for her. I'm going to say she has the flu or whatever, because she's really hungover. When the kids come home, mom is drunk, but I'm just going to say she's really tired. 
you're going on period, she's sleeping, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm pretending. And everybody knows you're full of shit. Everybody knows, at least the people that are impacted the most know that this isn't real. And what happens when you become a pretender and you're acting like everything is okay when it's not? Your children think you're a liar. They don't understand that you're doing this to protect them. We don't understand you're pretending so that you can, you know, do you think you're shielding them from all the pain? They're looking at you and going, why are you lying to me? Right? They think you're in denial and you know, you're, you're not in denial because you see it too. You know how bad it is, but there's a part of you that thinks if you pretend that you'll make it better for everybody else, you're not making it any better by pretending. I promise you that. You are not making it any better by pretending. It's not as bad as it is. What you're doing is adding stress and duress to everybody around you by acting like you don't see it too. You know, all your kids need is like a, emotional support. Not all they need. They need a lot more than that if they're growing up in this, but, you know, emotional support and like, you're not crazy. Think about this. Think about how many times in your life you thought as a spouse of an addict or an alcoholic, this one thought, am I crazy? Am I, am I nuts? Am I crazy? How often do you think that on a regular basis? Well, if there's any pretending in you and sweeping this under the rug, how often do you think your kids are thinking that thought? And now they're going to grow up and get into relationships with people where they're, they're constantly, they don't know if they're making this up or not. Is this normal? I don't know. What's normal? So this is why this work is so incredibly important. This is why I've dedicated my life to helping fight this cause you know, a, a family empowerment warrior. And that is what I've dedicated my life to do because if we don't intervene, now I know some of these things are hard to hear. I know we wanted to start this conversation by being like, yeah, they just need to get their shit together and everything will be fine. But now we start to realize, uh-oh, I'm codependent. Well, step one is to go, let yourself off the hook. You didn't get here because you're a bad person. You got here because codependency is a natural consequence of living in a crazy environment. It is a coping mechanism to dysfunction. And so now you're here though, but now that you are here, you can recognize your role and start to wake up. And I know waking up is painful. Some of us love to wake up. We get up in the morning and we're like, oh, we open our eyes. We're like, bring the day. Where's the day? Where's the coffee? Yeah, let's get it rocking. Let me go work out. I'm not that girl. Waking up for me is like, oh, I gotta wake up, you know, open one eye, set the snooze, you know, do the thing, wake up slowly. Waking up is not, you know, especially if you have like chronic pain or you're dealing with addiction or something and you get out of bed and you're like, I feel, you know, like a 90 year old, you know, creaking and cracking across the floor. I mean, waking up is not easy. And, and waking up, psychologically and emotionally and spiritually is also not always a divine experience. It's hard, but I promise you that the awakening, once the lights are on and you start to see your peace in this and your responsibility, what happens is, is you magically get your power back. Think about it this way. When you're with an addict and alcoholic, where's all the power? Where's your personal power? It's in their decisions. It's in their destruction. You feel like you don't have any personal power, but when you recognize, in fact, you are playing a role with one of these patterns, you get your power back. And power is the direct result of personal responsibility. If I can say that I am at all personally responsible for the quality of my life, the situation I'm in, then I can have power over how I proceed. And I want that for you. I want you to get your personal power back so that you can live the life that you always imagined you would be at this point. 
right? When's it your turn to be happy? When do you get to be healthy? When do, when do you get to just like live the great life? Well, now when you decide, and I want to help you get that. And it's not that you have to pursue it. It's that we have to remove the obstacles that you've built or that are around you against it. It's what we want to do. So if this has been helpful for you, do me a favor and like it out loud. Let people know because we're a small uh, operation here and we want to be we want to be bigger in the sense where our message gets out there to more and more people we're able to help more and more people with this work um there are so many ways you can do it you can go over to heidirain.com and sign up for a compliment or not a complimentary but a 90 minute coaching strategic coaching session you can uh, purchase our my book called what's wrong with me which is a book about how addiction impacts the family and the rules we develop of codependency you can find that on amazon I'll link it here as well. You can uh, start one of our programs or our courses, our codependency recovery courses. So many ways to start the healing journey, but just let this be the beginning for you, not the end, right? All true transformation begins with understanding, but then ends with action. We walk our way into more consciousness. I love you. I hope this has been helpful for you. I appreciate you. Your comments are important to me. I'm so grateful this is helping. I'm so proud of you for making the changes you need to make in your life, even though it's not easy. I'm so grateful that you're doing this for not just you, but for future generations. And I love you. Take excellent care of yourself and I'll see you really soon. Bye.